are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. All right. Thank you, Caroline, and all your hard work with uh, Vacation Bible School. And good morning. I hope you are uh, doing well. You know, this uh, past week, I was out in Pearland uh, at a place and saw a guy with a I Love VBS t-shirt on. And so being the quiet, shy, introvert self that I am, um, I walked up to him and I said, well, hey, where do you love VBS? I see your t-shirt. And many of you know Chris Clemens with the Way of Life Church. He came from Good Hope Baptist Church up in Houston. And the guy said, well, I run Vacation Bible School at Good Hope Baptist Church up in Houston. I said, well, hang on. You know Chris Clemens? He was like, yeah. I was like, well, I know Chris Clemens. We got to talking. So last week was their virtual Vacation Bible School. And I was like, well, how's it going? And he said, man, it's been fantastic. He said, we've had kids from all, you know, around Houston watching. We've had kids from different states watching. And he said, we would have never thought we would have been able to reach the magnitude of kids we've had through this way. And so uh, thank you for, I, I know right now we, we say share and, and you think, well, man, just clicking that share button on Facebook, that's one of the easiest, greatest evangelistic tools we have right now is just one little click of a button can change somebody's eternity. And listen, many of your grandparents, and so just look, play the grandma or grandpa card, okay? Look, it would really make grandma really happy if you watch Vacation Bible School, right? You can do that, right? You can get, no, I'm just kidding. It's okay. Laugh, breathe, you're all right. But if you got to play the guilt grandma card, that's okay too, all right? And so thank you so much for sharing that, for what you've done so far, and, and really your prayers. I mean, we, we need to keep praying through this, uh, praying as it's getting done, put together, and then as it's going to be played, uh, be praying that this really will reach kids and uh, it'll, it'll make an impact in their lives. So Uh, Good morning. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for everything. I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things at one time because I know you guys are a smart crew. Uh, Open up to Joshua chapter 21 is the first thing I'm going to ask you to do. And then as you're doing that or as you completed that task, uh, in front of you, you're going to see some cards. And the cards there, uh, the first one you'll see is a, a welcome card. And so if you're a guest with us, we'd love for you to fill that out. And we'll give you instructions on what to do with it later. Or on the back of that welcome card, you can put prayer requests down. This is for anybody, uh, any decisions you make, anything like that. Uh, And then I'll tell you what to do with them. And then I get these cards right away. We'll be happy to pray with you. And then the next card you're going to see that you can take out is your 4 by 4 card. And remember, we have our 4 by 4 plan where we find four people who don't know Christ. We pray for them four times a week. Uh, we invite them four parties a year. Chances we can just maybe get together with them, uh, have gospel conversations with them, share Christ with them. Uh, and then so if you haven't done that, just put a first name on there. Uh, we're, I know you've done that in the past, but we're recollecting a lot of those names for a reason and a purpose uh, that we'll be getting with you here soon of how we can pray for those names better. But then last week, and this will be the last week you, you got to sign up for this, is I said, let's have a, a 2020 kind of second half of the year challenge on how many people 
people you're going to commit to invite uh, to our services, whether it's in person, whether it's online through the rest of 2020. And so if you didn't fill that out last week, uh, go on and fill this out this week. Just put down a number saying, hey, you know what? Here's, here's how many I plan to intentionally invite. My personal goal is 25. Uh, I got a chance to do two this week, just out meeting some folks. And so uh, go on and fill that out as well during the sermon. And I'll tell you what to do with them uh, at the end of the message. So let's pray together. Father God, I thank you uh, that you are our cornerstone. Father, I thank you that you are our solid rock. Uh, Father, I thank you that even in the midst of uneasiness in life at times that we can rely on you. And Lord, I, I pray according to Ephesians three twenty through 21 that you do greater things than we can ever think and imagine uh, with Vacation Bible School this year. Uh, Lord, you will do greater things than we can ever think and imagine with the prayer requests that we're praying right now. Uh, Lord, we pray that you will do this. Father, we pray this morning as we come and we open up your word. Uh, Father, what the psalmist prays in Psalm 119 and verse 33. Teach me O way, your way, O Lord. Teach me your statutes and I'll keep them unto the end. Give me understanding, O Lord, that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimony and not to selfish gain. And so, Father, that's our prayer this morning, that you will teach us your word, that, Father, we may follow you and we may love you with our whole heart. We pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen. You know, have you ever asked yourself this question, why would God do that? You ever thought of that? You know, maybe you're reading in your Bible and you read a story, maybe like it was Noah's Ark and the worldwide flood and, and no, you know, only Noah's family was saved. And you thought, why would God do that? Why would God send Jesus Christ, uh, the Savior, the Messiah, into this world to be born into poverty as a baby? Why not send him as a full-grown man, as a conquering king? And why would God do that? Maybe that's happened when you've read your Bible, or maybe in your own just personal life. You know, you've thought, why, why'd God do that? You know, why, why did he allow me to get cancer? Why did he allow my husband or wife to pass away? Why did he give me this job and not the other job I was praying for? And maybe even as a teenager, you thought, why, why did I have to switch schools and my parent get a new job and I had to move? Why, why did God do that? You know, I think we've all had those moments and, and questions in our lives. Why did God do that? In Joshua chapter 21, when you pick up in verse 43, the author gives us really a summary statement of everything that is happening up to Joshua in this point. So pick up with me in Joshua 21 and verse 43. Let's read that. It says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word uh, of all the good promises that God had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. 
And he gives us kind of a summary of what's happened in Joshua. And I know we've been in and out of the book of Joshua. So let me just catch us up and give you a quick outline of the whole book. All right, so in Joshua chapters 1 through 5, uh, you have them crossing into the land of Canaan. In Joshua's chapter 6 through 12, you have the conquest. All right, so you have Israel fighting against several different countries, and that's what we call the conquest chapters. Then chapters 13 through 21, you have them dividing out the land. Okay, so now they've possessed the land, they've taken the land, and now they're distributing it out among the 12 tribes of Israel. And then in chapters 22 through 24, you have them serving the Lord in the land. But why did God do that? Why did God send the Israelites into the land of Canaan to take their land? Because we need to remember this, that this land that they've now possessed, this land that God gave them, the land of the Canaanites, this wasn't uninhabited land. And these were people who were living there. And then in these military battles, this is men, women, teenagers, and children who have been killed at the hands of the Israelites. Why did God do that? Why did he allow the Israelites to come in and by force take the land from the people of Canaan? We see in verse 43 that we see that God gave them the land. Notice the author said, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. They took possession of it and they settled there. Now remember that this is rooted in a promise. All the way back to Abraham, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before, God came to Abraham and he said, I'm going to give your people a land. You've got to leave where you are and you've got to go. You've got to possess this land. And then so over those period of years, they're on that march toward the land. But take your Bible and let's go back to Joshua chapter 1. And let's just flip back into chapter 1. Let's pick up in verse 1. Because remember what God had told Joshua from the beginning. So they're kind of right on the, the border, the cusp. They're going to have to cross the Jordan River. And let's pick up with the historical part of this promise. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall call this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So there's the promise given to Joshua again. Go and possess the land that I've sworn to Abraham. And if you think about the history of Israel, that looked like at times it wasn't going to happen. I mean, you remember that? period of slavery for them 430 years they were enslaved in Egypt and then when God sent Moses and Aaron in to deliver them out of the hands of Pharaoh 
They get out in the out of the you know bondage of Egypt, and then they sin quickly against God, and God sends them for forty years wandering around the wilderness. And so now Moses is dead. It's at the end of that forty years, and he's like, "Hey, Joshua, go, keep going. You've got to possess this land." There's times it didn't look like that promise was going to come true. Let me ask you, are there times in your life you don't think the promises of God are coming true? Are there times where you're like, God, I don't really know if you are with me. Bible says you're with me, but I don't know if you are with me. You ever wonder at times, God, are you really going to provide? I mean, the Bible says you'll provide for me. You're going to take care of me. You're the God of my daily bread, but I don't know. Are there times do you really wonder about your salvation? God, am I really saved? God, really, are you going to keep my soul to the end? See, there's times in our lives where it looks like the, the promises of God aren't coming true. And there's obstacles in the way, just like there were for the Israelites. But remember, this is a promise-keeping God. This is an obstacle-smashing God. And there's nothing too big or too strong for this God to overcome. So we read in verse thirty or 43 in Joshua 21 that He gave them the land. Well, let's go back to Joshua chapter 21. And let's look at what he did next. He not only gave him the land, but he gave him the victory. So we pick up in Joshua 21, in verse 43 and 44. So thus the Lord gave the Israel all the land that he swore to their fathers. He took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them the rest on every side, just as he had sworn their fathers. None of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. He said back in chapter 1, you're going to have to be strong and courageous. There's battles you're going to have to fight. There's people you're going to have to go up against. Chapter 7 through 12 are all of those military battles. And we see really starting at Jericho in chapter 6 on through chapter 12. Now, Now they won all those battles. There was a battle they didn't win, but that was because of their disobedience. But then they come back and win the rematch, right? But how did they win those fights? How did this people of Israel beat all of these people? It's because the Lord gave them the victory. The Lord was on their side. The Lord fought for them. But isn't there an ethical question that's rattling around in our brains somewhere? I mean, maybe you've never thought of it this way. But how is this okay? Why did God do this? Because for some people, this is where they have a little trouble with God. Wait a minute, you're you're telling me this God authorized one nation coming in to attack another nation unprovoked. I mean, this is one nation invading other nations. If you think about the history of our country, have we not gone to war for those reasons? We fought plenty of wars in the history of our country, defending other countries who've been attacked in an unprovoked attack. There's been plenty of times we've sent soldiers, men and women, all around our world to say, whoa, whoa, whoa you attacked them and that's not right. So how is this right in the Bible that God is sending in the Israelites to attack the Canaanites and take their land? Fantastic question. Thank you for asking that. Right? Let's unpack it a little bit because honestly, 
This is where sometimes if you're talking to somebody that doesn't believe in Jesus, they may bring this up. They may say, well, hang on, I've got trouble with this God. See, first understand that the Israelites are under what we would call a theocracy. Okay, we, we function as a democracy, a little bit as a republic here in our, our country, but they're under a theocracy. So a theocracy is essentially this, God is their God and also their king. Okay, so for the Israelites, there's no separation of church and state. God is God and God is king. All right, it's all one person. It's all one function, one office, if you will. There's no separation of that. But we also have to remember this biblically, that God is the creator of all things and all people, owns all things, and is just in all that he does. Okay, so God is creator of all people, all things, he owns all things, and he's just in all that he does. Listen to Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. It says, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Romans 9, 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So there's times in the Old Testament you're going to read that when the Israelites continually sin against God and God has come to them continually and say, repent and turn, repent and turn back to me, when they don't, God will send in another country to punish them. All right, so you remember the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar and all those guys. This is an instance where it's reversed, that God's using the Israelites to come in and punish the Canaanites for their sin. But now, whoa, again, how's that fair? Right? How's it fair that God is doing that? You guys probably remember the reruns of Perry Mason or maybe Matlock. Right? Remember some of those courtroom dramas where the judge at times turns to a witness because the witness isn't answering the question and the judge will give the witness this instruction. You have to answer that question. You've got to answer the question. When we ask the fairness of God question, we're putting God on trial. We're saying, God, hang on. My system of justice isn't matching yours. My system of fairness isn't matching yours. My system of right and wrong isn't matching yours. And so, God, you have to answer this question. We're being the judge in that sense. He's on trial. You have to answer this. How is this fair? Because if you don't answer it rightly, I'm going to be mad at you. I'm going to be upset at you. But God doesn't know us an answer. His word says he's creator of all things. He's just in all things. He owns all things. And so we see here that God is using them to judge against evil and sin. He sends in the Israelites to judge against evil and sin. Moses wrote about this in Deuteronomy before it happened. In Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verses 4 through 5, God gave Moses this word. It says, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, and so he's speaking of when the Canaanites will be overtaken, it's because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. 
Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess the land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. That he may confirm that the word of the Lord is sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you notice what he said? He said, Israel, hang on. When this happens, and I give you the land, and I give you the victory, I didn't do this because of your righteousness. I did this because of their wickedness. I drove them out because of their wickedness, not your righteousness. See, God is a God that judges evil. God is a God who judges sin. God is a God who judges sinners. And so what's happening here is we can look at this and go, wait a minute, this should be pointing us to something that's coming. We need to look at what's happening in Joshua and not think, well, wait a minute, that's just a God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament's love and he's going to sweep it all under the rug and he's not going to do anything else about evil or sin. No, no, no. This should be in our brains going, hang on, something else is about to happen. Something else is about to take place. And that's the return of Christ. And when Christ returns, Christ is defeating evil and sin. And anyone opposes him forever. So this judgment of the Canaanites is pointing us to the final judgment to come. Listen to 1 Peter 4, 5. But they'll give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well to us, that when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints to be marveled at among all who believe because our testimony was believed. See, God had given the Canaanites hundreds and hundreds of years to turn. God had given them opportunities to come back to Him. I mean, remember the story of Rahab in chapter 2 when the spies come and Rahab says, listen, we've heard about your God. We know all about Him. But it's only Rahab in her house that turns to the Lord. And so understand that God is a God. He will judge sin. He will judge sinners. But there's always an opportunity to turn. There's always an opportunity to get right with the Lord until that day of judgment comes. C.S. Lewis, uh, you may have read the book or seen the movie, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. There's a, a scene in there that always stands out to me. And it takes place between Susan, who's a a young girl, and Mr. Beaver and Mrs. Beaver. She's sitting there at their kitchen table, and she's talking to him. And Mrs. Beaver is explaining to Susan about Aslan, who's coming, and her opportunity to meet Aslan. Now, Aslan is the ruler of Narnia, but Aslan's a lion. And Susan thought Aslan was a man. And listen to this exchange between Mr. Beaver and Susan. Susan says to Mr. Beaver, well, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. She asks him, Mr. Beaver, is he safe? Is he safe? 
And I love what Mr. Beaver says back. Safe? Who said anything about safe? He's a lion. Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king. See, God sent Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son in this world, to take your sin and my sin upon Himself on the cross. He did that in order to divert the wrath of God from us and our sin. The Bible says that Jesus is a lamb. And what? A lion. He is the lion and the lamb. This Jesus, if you meet Him without your sin confessed, without your faith in Him, you meet Him as a lion. He is not safe when it comes to sin. But when you give your life to Christ, when you turn to Jesus, and by faith you trust in His work, you know Him as a lamb. And He's safe. You have a relationship with God. See, God's not going to just turn a blind eye to evil and wickedness and sin in this world. He's not safe when it comes to those things. But you come to Christ, and the relationship changes. God gave him the land. God gave them the victory, but also God gave them rest. Let's return back into Joshua chapter 21 and find verses 44 and 45 again with me. It says, And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as He had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hand. And not one word of all the good promise of the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. We see in verse 44 that word rest. He gave them rest. The term rest there simply just means peace from assault. It's freedom from assault. They are at rest in the land. All of their enemies at the moment defeated. The New Testament speaks of a rest for us as believers in Jesus. If you've got your Bible or maybe your app on your phone, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. And let me read out of Hebrews 4 because the author of Hebrews speaks of a rest and he cross-references Joshua. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 5, we pick up with these words. It says, and again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. But since therefore it remains for some to enter in it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, Again, he appoints a certain day, today. Saying through David, so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did. Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What is the rest of the New Testament speaking of here? It's a rest from our sin. It's a rest that when we come to Christ, we find the rest from the power and the dominion of sin in our lives. 
It's a rest from the penalty of sin. Then no longer are we under the wrath of God. No longer is hell our eternal destination. We have rest and peace with God now and forever. It's a rest from sin's power. A rest from sin's penalty. But then we are eagerly awaiting part of our rest still to be fulfilled. See, the rest that Joshua experienced, the rest that you and I experienced is not a complete rest yet. That all of us in us have a longing for a deeper eternal rest. And that rest is to come when Christ comes again. It's a rest from the presence of sin. That one day in Jesus Christ when He returns, there's no more evil, no more sin, no more judgment. We are at rest from sin's power, penalty, and presence forever. Why would God do that? Now this morning, you probably have a lot more practical questions than I have answers for when you think about Joshua and all of the conquests they went on. There may still be some tension within you on the fairness of was this fair. Let me say it this way. You don't have to have a release of all that tension to still worship God. You don't have to have all the answers to all your questions to still love Him and to still find rest in Him today. And when I think about Joshua, and I think about how God deals with evil, how He deals with sin, I think about that Hebrews passage when we say, today, do not harden your heart. If you hear the Lord's voice, come to Him. What that should do is push us out in missional urgency more and more and more. And so when we say here that our objective is to love people and to lead them to a new life with Christ, that's not just a slogan we wear on a t-shirt or we put it on a wall. No, we're saying Christ is coming. This is a God that you don't want to meet without forgiveness. That He's not safe for sinners. But He's made a way to know Him. He's made a way to come to know Him in a safe way, in a relationship. And that's through Christ. I was at Jiffy Lube on Friday and uh, up there in Pearland and I was working on my computer for a moment and another gentleman walked in. It was just me and him. And he's kind of common. He said, oh man, work never stops, does it? I was like, ah, no, you know, it doesn't. He says, what do you do? Now that's always the question that I'm like, this is going to go one or two ways, but I'm going to tell you, right? So I'm a pastor. I pastor Heights Baptist Church down in Alvin. He's like, oh, wow. He said, well, what do you think about all this COVID stuff? I'm like, well, this is going to go even more than one or two ways. Man, oh, man. And just, so we got to talking about things. And he, he asked me, he said, can I ask you a question? I said, well, you, you sure can. He said, I'm an agnostic. He said, I don't, I don't believe in God. He said, I, I respect all people from all different religions. And he said, I really want to know what you think about this. He said, is, is all of this pointing us to the end time? Are we in the end times right now? And I, I told him, I said, well, you know, we were sitting kind of far apart. And I said, well, let me just get a little closer to you because I can't hear you real well through the mask thing, right? And I said, I'll tell you this. I said, when I used to drive around with my grandma and I asked her where, how much longer we had to get to where we needed to go, grandma would always say, well, we're five minutes closer than the last time he asked me. I said, so I don't know when Jesus is going to come back, but I can tell you we're in the end times because we're one day closer to him coming back. He said, really? 
I said, yeah, and do you mind if I just share something real quick with you? And he's like, sure. I said, in Luke chapter 13, there's a tower that falls on people. And it's just, a, it's a tragedy. It's an accident that happens. You know, people die. And the people come up to Jesus and they say, why'd that happen? Why'd that happen? I said, you know what Jesus told him? He said, you need to repent or perish. I said, that's the message right now we need to think about. And I said, I'm going to encourage you that. I know you said you're an agnostic, you don't believe in God. I said, but, but let, me just, let me just tell you, the Bible says that I have sin and you have sin. And you need to turn from that sin. You need to come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. I don't want you to perish in hell for all of eternity. And, you know, we, we had a good conversation beyond that. He wasn't ready to make a decision for Christ. But, but let me just say right now, passages like we just went over, moments and days that we're in, should push us out in missional urgency more and more. And so today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, let me just do what Hebrews chapter 4 just said. Don't harden your heart to God. If you hear His voice today and He's saying, come to me in salvation, give Him your life. For the Bible says then you have forgiveness of sin and eternal life with God now and forever. I want to ask you to pray with me just right where you are. Today we can find rest in our souls that we are looking for. And that comes from repentance, from turning from sin and turning to God. Maybe today as a believer in Jesus Christ, it's refreshing you need in your life. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3 that when we turn from our sin and we come to God and we confess that, that He refreshes our soul. And so I'm going to invite you to do that today, whether it's to become a believer in Christ or as a believer and say, Lord, I need that time of refreshing again. We're going to have a moment in a minute where we're going to stand and sing a final song. You can pray at your seat. You can pray down front by yourself. I'll be down front. There'll be someone else up here as well to pray with you. We'll have our mask on so you can come and talk to us closely. But don't harden your heart to maybe what God's calling you to today. Father, we thank you that, Lord, even in this story of Joshua, we see how you fulfill your promises. How you give us victory over sin through your son Jesus. And Lord, I pray for, for the gentlemen I talked to on, on Friday. I pray for those that are on our minds and our hearts that don't know Christ as their Savior. Others that are on our 4 by 4 list. We, we pray for their salvation, O oh Lord, because we know you are a God who takes sin seriously. Lord, I pray that we will see through Vacation Bible School not only boys and girls come to know Christ, but maybe moms and dads, teenagers, as they're watching those videos along. Father, I pray this morning for anyone that's sitting right here that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, just today, right now, they'll give their life to Christ. Lord, thank You for Your love. Thank You that You've made a way for us to be with You for all of eternity through Your Son, Jesus, and have our sin forgiven. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.